This is Winning Slowly, taking a long view on technology, religion, ethics, and art, because doing good work takes time. I'm Chris Kreitcho. And I'm Stephen Caradini. And welcome to part two of our season finale. Woohoo! Huzzah! So, this might be the only episode that we've ever had where Chris or I yawn in the middle of the episode. No, I've yawned before. But but you might hear it more loudly today. You might. <laughs> we are real excited to be tackling these topics, but we are also real tired from everything else going on in our lives and in the podcast. Life. So Life. that's why we take breaks. But before we take a break and rejuvenate and regenerate, just like a Time Lord, we uh, we have three more things to talk to you about. Shorter, because, again, not really the content there for a full episode, but definitely things that we've been thinking about and that we want to talk about before we start moving into new areas next season. One of the things that should be fun about this is each of these topics ties into something we're hoping to tackle over the course of 2016, and in one case, through the end of 2015. But wait, you say, I thought you said you were wrapping up this season. What? That's right. What? what? We'll, we'll, we'll just have to hold on and see what we hear at the end of the episode about what kinds of things you might look for throughout the rest of 2015. Before we get there, though, we're going to jump in and talk about two of the big picture things we want to do next year. Over the past two years, as we've done seasons 0, 1, 2, and 3 of Winning Slowly, we've slowly worked out what our basic tack is and what the structure of our show is and how we want to come at these different topics that we're interested in. And in 2016, we're going to try to do not two, but three seasons, but they're going to be shorter seasons. And as you noted, if you've been paying attention here in season three, we've sort of had a theme. This season, we talked a fair bit about advertising and the shape of the modern web and how those things fit together. And that idea of theme-driven content is one we want to carry forward. So what we're going to try to do next year, and we'll see how well it works, but we're going to try to say, here's season four in the spring, and that should be 12 to 13 episodes, depending on how tired we are by the end of it. Mm -hmm. 12 has been the number that we've found that is the sweet spot between <laughs> our enthusiasm, but also our stamina. Yes. So, so we figure we'll shoot for 12 in the spring. And then over the summer, probably 10 to 12. Summers are busy. And in the spring, if we find that we have 14 episodes worth of content, we'll do 14 episodes. But 12 is more likely. We'll do 8 to 10 most likely over the summer, and then another 12 to 14 or so in the fall. The spring and fall seasons are going to be focused. We'll explain on what here in just a moment. So we're going to let the topics we get to today lead us into some of those ideas that we're going to tackle as big picture themes for the seasons in the spring and the fall next year. The summer will remain something of a more traditional winning slowly grab bag. We'll have an episode or two like that in the spring or the fall, but the summer is where we're going to probably rant and rave about superhero movies if we do that. Indeed. Indeed. So our first big idea that we're going to be tackling in the fall is the idea of structure versus agency. And you might be thinking, whoa there, 
Are you going to tell me that you're going to solve the structure agency problem? No, we're not. No, but that's not a thing we're going to solve. But we're going to talk about it an awful lot. But we're going to talk about it a lot. Because as we go through the modern web era, one of the interesting quirks is that the individual has both more and less ability to make changes in their own lives and in the lives of many people around them that they know and that they don't know. Take social media, for instance. People can reach all of their community very quickly, and they have the ability to do this, but they're also constrained in the types of things that they see on social media, as we've talked about repeatedly throughout this season. Think also of purchasing on the web. People can buy pretty much anything everywhere, so they have the ability to make an individual choice almost anywhere in the world, but due to retargeting, due to massive ad campaigns, due to large, giant corporations, it's more likely that you're actually going to purchase from a large corporate entity than a small organization. That's the structure agency problem. You have a structure that is guiding your choices, but you're an agent that has an individual idea or an individual choice in what you do. How do those things work together? And of course, this shows up in lots of places that aren't just the web. Right. But since we tackle tech things more often than not, that'll probably be the focus. But if you take a step back, a lot of the things we say might just happen to be more broadly applicable to, say, major economic structures or long-term race relations and how that affects individual responsibility versus social agencies and all the things that go with that. Whether we get into those or not will be a different question. But we're going to try to leave some of those big picture questions open in a way that the way we address them says something beyond just the webs. And so to start that conversation, we're going to talk about something that our listener Eric Dorbin pointed out to us, which is that accessibility on the web is something that has fallen behind most modern accessibility pushes, as well as most technology pushes. So the ADA, which was established in 1992, the Americans with Disabilities Act, it was aimed at bringing people with disabilities of all types into a easier situation for them. And this could be things like ramps. That was part of it. This could be things like disability-compliant bathrooms, these sorts of things. The web is part of the world that ostensibly should be covered by ADA. But... Yeah, not necessarily so much all the time. While at best, some sites nail this and some apps nail this, the reality is that accessibility, say for people with poor vision or people who are just colorblind or any number of other hangups, is very, very poor. It's a, it's a secondary thought, if any thought, in many sites. And Whether you're a web developer or designer or whether you're just someone making business decisions, one of the things that we think people have a responsibility to do, and not just a legal but an ethical and a moral responsibility, is to take this up and say, how are the choices I'm making, the technical choices that I'm making, reinforcing unhelpful structures, reinforcing unhelpful patterns, or building structures that enable people to exercise their agency well? Am I designing this website in a way that will make someone who's poorly sighted or out-and-out blind still able to make good use of it? 
am I building this app in such a way that someone who maybe doesn't have a great sense of hearing is going to be able to use it? And beyond that, can we actually create apps and technology and so on that enables those people to be even more well integrated into mm -hmm. the rest of society mm -hmm. than they have been right. instead of leaving them out in the cold, as Eric pointed out that too much of our current technological innovation does, we ought to be using these technological advances and strides to integrate them further and to make their disabilities less of a problem right. as they interact with the internet era and as they interact with people in general. I remember Stephen and I have an acquaintance from college who would take advantage of the existence of modern technology to carry on conversations with people around him, though he was deaf, because he could just type it out on his cell phone and hold it up. And so it was a quick way to basically hand notes back and forth using a phone without even sending the text messages, which we all then had to pay for. <laughs> if we could enable those kinds of things more easily and make it easier for those kinds of little uses of technology to break down barriers and to empower people rather than hinder them, we should do that. Yeah. And there are some big technologies that do some really amazing things. Mm -hmm. We hear about these sometimes when people have spinal injuries or paralysis or these sorts of issues that deep and weighty technological intervention allows them to be communicative or allows them to have some level of autonomy in the ways that they use their motor skills. And that's really amazing. That stuff is great. And we are not saying negative or ill towards any of that work. What we are interested in is the more basic ways that things get difficult. So we have readers that will read websites for people who are uh, hard of vision or totally blind. But if you design your websites so that there's a bunch of gobbledygook in the middle of the, the way the content flows, the way that the text flows, it's really difficult to understand that. If you don't have closed captions on your YouTube video, it's really difficult for some people. Or if your sound design is poor, which is why I put closed captions on every single Doctor Who episode, because their sound design is terrible. So, <laughs> it's really, <laughs> it's so really true. bad. Well, and the British accents. I mean. Well, yeah, but just, it. this is not that episode. But it's bad, <laughs> y'all. It's bad. Do better. <laughs> Those base level types of things are stuff that we just don't think about that often. And that's really really difficult, really a shame. And that's partially why disabilities remain disabilities, is that when we have the ability to expand what abilities means and to make things easier, not just for people with disabilities, but for everyone, we don't often go that route. We don't think about the inclusiveness of making bigger buttons so that people who have tremors in their hand don't have to try to play whack-a-mole with these tiny buttons. That's huge. Yeah, it is. And as a friend of mine who's a web developer at a very, very large media company put it to me a while back, in many cases, it's not even hard. It's just something you have to think about. And if you think about it from the start when you're building a new web page or web application or smartphone application or any of these things, it's not even hard to do the things that make it work well for people. Mostly, it just requires you to be mindful of it. 
But when you're not, and when culturally we're not, it ends up being profoundly difficult for people who have disabilities because there are these massive structural barriers to their exercising their agency. And that's where we want to kind of go with this idea next year. Are there ways in which personal agency is really hindered by these structural questions? Well, yeah, there are. Does that absolve us of responsibility to exercise our agency to whatever degree we're able? Well, no, it doesn't. And as lots and lots of individuals do exercise that agency, do exert themselves, we change the structures we live in because the structures we live in are human constructs. And yeah, they may take decades and sometimes even centuries to change on the scales we want to see them change, but that doesn't mean it's not worth doing. This is, after all, winning slowly. If it takes decades to bring about a change, we're still going to advocate that we do it. Still a good idea. So that's really where we're hoping to go with the structure agency problem. The next issue that we're very interested in and that we'll be taking up in the spring, so the next time you hear from us, we'll be talking about it is this issue of globalization. And I'm fascinated by this because I rarely have left the United States, but I'm intimately aware of how other economies work and how other educational systems work and how other arts cultures work because of the research that I do and the research that I'm surrounded by. So it's interesting when you read something that's written by somebody who's not in your culture. There are different presuppositions, there are different rules, there are different expectations, Mm -hmm. there are different ends, there are different means. There's a lot that changes when you change into a different culture. In previous times, a lot of these cultures wouldn't come into contact. Now, with the advent of the internet and the way that research can flow through international spaces with extreme ease, except when Putin decides that it won't. Boo, Putin. Boo, Great Firewall of China. Boo. Boo. But other than that, research can flow through the international sphere with enormous ease, and I am now far more aware of what cultures are like in Britain, in India, in Portugal, in Pakistan. These are really interesting and important things, and we really want to think about, okay, how does the policy of X affect Y country? Yeah, just insert things there. That's really where we're going to be going with this next coming season. Right. One of the things that caught our attention in this particular regard that we thought about even talking about this season, and I thought about participating in during the middle of this season, was something that hits a couple of our topics in perhaps a surprising way, and it was a hackathon called Code for the Kingdom, and basically it was a group of Christian software developers and graphic designers and so on coming together and saying, hey, what are some of the problems that we face as a global community of Christians, and how can we, as a global community, tackle them? And so There were people in India, and people in England, and people in the United States, and... In Ethiopia, in Kenya, in Canada, in Guatemala, (laughs) in Indonesia. This is a long list of places. In Albuquerque. In Albuquerque. And now I've got the Weird Al song stuck in my head. (laughs) 
There you go. <laughs> Weasels, man. <laughs> I don't like sauerkraut. <laughs> but it was, a number one, it's a great idea. And number two, one of the things we thought was great about it was it wasn't a sort of stereotypically unhelpful, hey, we're people in the West and we're going to fix things in the rest of the world problem. It was a, hey, let's put teams, let's get teams wherever we can get teams and put together cool technology to solve problems that Christians face. Whatever those problems are and whatever the teams are that come up with them, more power to them. And if a team in Raleigh and a team in Ethiopia can connect, that's rad. That's amazing. And it's incredibly empowering. And this is, it's exciting and empowering on the technological front. But it was also exciting to me because one of my ongoing points of interest and points of reading is looking at a, a massive shift that's happening within global Christianity right now. And that is the shift really away from the West as sort of the center of global Christianity into places like China and Africa, and some of the repercussions that has for a community that, frankly, has been dominated for many reasons, many of them not at all problematic, and a few of them fairly problematic over the last hundreds of years, simply because of the economic and cultural dominance of Europe and America. But there are now more Anglicans worshipping in South Africa any given Sunday than there are in London, or for that matter, all of Great Britain. And that's a fascinating shift, and that plays out, and it changes the way that we relate to each other, and it changes the way that we need to think about doing theology, and doing theology about technology, and about culture, and about art. And so you then mash that up with something like Code for the Kingdom. And like I said, one of the most exciting things to me about that was just the peer level interaction. It wasn't a bunch of know-it-all white guys in America or Europe saying, do what we tell you to people around the rest of the world. The playing field has been leveled. And that means that guys in Ethiopia can collaborate with gals in Raleigh, can cooperate with a team in India to make something awesome if we want, and to make Bibles more freely available, or to hack on technology to make translation between different languages more easy, or what have you. I'm gushing because I get excited about it. <laughs> we're not, yeah, we're not going to jump on the whole world is flat thing, Thomas Friedman, sorry bro, sorry bro, but we are going to talk about how the world is different now. We have technology that allows very different things to happen in religious spaces, in technical spaces. We have things like internet.org in India. We have the Great Firewall in China. We have stupid amounts of CCTV in England. We have <laughs> comedians getting elected in Guatemala. We have Brazil. There's just lots of things that are fascinating. And hey, there's Hungarian the folk music. And there's Hungarian folk music. And Hungary and Poland, and it's just, it's fascinating. So we're super stoked. We're super glad that Code for the Kingdom is working on not the white man's burden type syndrome type mentality. Super stoked about that. And we really want to see more people do that. One more thing, and this leads into what might be coming up that you could keep your eyes out for in the next few months. One of the concerns Stephen and I have about the internet era, and this is something we've touched on off and on over the course of 
the last several seasons, as we talk about social media like Twitter or even blogging, is what it means to own your own content. And there are a number of angles that we might take on this. You know, you'll hear folks in the indie web side of things talking about making sure that you have mirrors of your own content, that if you're microblogging via Twitter, that you're microblogging on your own site as well, that if you're posting things to Medium, that you're keeping a copy of that on your blog as well. Because, well, anybody who wrote anything on, say, Zanga, may have lost it when Zanga went away and then reinvented itself. Anyone who had set up a bunch of content on MySpace lost it when MySpace reinvented itself again and again and again. Yeah, but this goes the opposite direction, too, mm -hmm. in that I had all my content saved on WordPress and because I'm a moron, <laughs> I lost all of it because I didn't know how to back it up correctly, which is a significant problem. If me, granted this was three-ish years ago, so I'm significantly better at using WordPress now than I was then, just by dint of continuing to use it. But if a reasonably intelligent human being can't manage to keep all of their content in one place without destroying it, we've created something pretty difficult. Yeah. If that's really what happens when you make two pretty stupid, but pretty innocuous errors... Pretty easy errors, to make errors, yeah. If that's what happens, then we have a really complicated system, and it becomes extremely important to not just own your own content and keep it from being requisitioned or deleted or any number of things by large corporations, but also to know how to use your own content so that you don't get it blown up by your own stupidity or by someone else's stupidity or anything else. So it's a multifaceted problem. Yeah. And, and there's one further angle to that, which is the question of preservation for history. Because mm -hmm. we've talked a lot about link rot in the past, and we've talked about how when things go missing, it's it can be to the good sometimes, but it can also be a tragedy that good pieces mm -hmm. of content go missing. And because the internet is so ephemeral, we're thinking about ways not only in our own websites, not only in our own domains and our own hosting and all of that, but even in the terms of physical storage, offline storage, to think about how we preserve content that matters to us. And so we're actually going to spend some time writing on some of these topics in perhaps a long-form essay that we collaborate on, perhaps a series of smaller related essays, I think it's fair to say that we're inspired as we come at this particular project by some of the work Craig Maud did a number mm -hmm. of years ago on integrating long form and then yes. some related short form pieces around certain concepts. And so you can look for writing from mm -hmm. us before the end of the year, Lord willing, and you know, we don't get buried in more work than we can manage. But <laughs> our goal is over the next six weeks or so, six to eight weeks, to put together some fairly substantial essay content and interesting material for you to look at under the Winning Slowly banner. Mm -hmm. And we're hoping to put it on Medium because we've tracked the rise of Medium and really like it, even though we're still not really sure what their business plan is. But <laughs> And we'll probably whatever, also host the content on the Winning Slowly website yeah. because, well, owning your own content matters, as it turns out. Really matters. So we're interested in that, but we're also interested in taking things completely off digital. Because there are some things in the world that, you know, an EMP blast shouldn't be able to destroy. 
True that. We're going to keep pondering over the next six months to a year to 18 months, however long that we keep writing these essays that require a little more nuance, a little more choice of words, a little more careful touch. But eventually, if we get some of those, maybe we'll just print a book. Vanity Press. (laughs) We're not too ashamed. Not at all. Not at all. Especially because one of my goals for my own personal content is to work on sort of figuring that out for myself before the end of this year. And that will give us a chance to figure it out for winning slowly as a medium next year. And hey, if you have any ideas on how to physically preserve audio media, we'd love to hear it because we've looked around and short of some crazy things like sculptures, that's really a difficult thing to preserve. And well... I mean, you can record it back to tape. It's but true, or to we're, vinyl. We're looking for, or to, or to vinyl, but we're looking for some some innovative ideas. If you know of somebody who's doing something cool, do tell. Do tell. Do tell. With that, we've really come to the close of this third official season and our fourth overall season of Winning Slowly, and. We just want to say thank you to everybody for listening. Over the course of this season, as we started having our patronage, we've actually raised a fair bit of money to chip in toward our hosting costs. So thank you again to Jeremy W. Sherman and Andrew Fallows for sponsoring us. Mm-hmm. We, we really appreciate that. And even though he's on the tier that doesn't include getting a shout out, I'm going to shout out to him anyway, just because I appreciate it. Thanks to Jeremy Cherfus, too. We, we appreciate that coming in every month. And we would love for more of you to explore sponsoring us next year so that we can do even more cool things. And by the time you hear this episode, we'll have raised $29. So we will be donating $3 to the Internet Archive, as we've promised along the way. And that's not a lot, but it's a little. But it's something. And every penny you donate, well, every 10 pennies you donate, we'll donate another, another penny. So thanks not only to our financial supporters, but to our physical supporters, to our wives who let us take time to record and edit, and to um, our friends who support us with encouragement about how it's going, and to the people who we've interacted with during the season for Ryan O'Neill, and people who have recommended future guests and topics. All of you are really really helpful to us, and we really appreciate it. The music at the beginning was broken by Featurette. We used it with their permission. Please don't use it without permission. Again, thanks to Jeremy W. Sherman and Andrew Fallows for sponsoring the show this month, and you can find our full list of sponsors for every episode in the show notes at winningslowly.org. This week at winningslowly.org slash 3.15. If you'd like to support the show yourself, you can pledge monthly at patreon.com slash winning slowly or give directly at cash.me slash dollar sign winning slowly. 10% goes to the Internet Archive to help preserve the history of the Internet. And we'll continue to investigate other options there for next season because it's come to my attention that cash.me has some things that make it not very easy to donate to us. So we may have an alternative to that for one-off donations by the time we get around to season four. Oh, but dollar sign winning slowly. (laughs) I know, I know. (laughs) You can subscribe to the show in iTunes or your favorite podcast app so that when 4.01 comes up, it'll show up automatically. Woo! 
And hey, if you like the show, do us a favor in the next couple months. Rate and review us on iTunes, tell people about it, you know. All those first four seasons will be there to listen to, so... Catch on up. Indeed. You can also follow us on Twitter or app.net at Winning Slowly, or subscribe to our Facebook page to hear what we're up to between seasons, and for interesting links and content, as we have the time. As we have the time. (laughs) And when you have your thoughts, tell us about them, even in between seasons. You can, of course, hit us up on any of those social media, or you can shoot us an email at hello at winningslowly.org. And, of course, in the meantime, keep your eyes peeled for those fun essays coming your way. Until January, thanks for listening. This one's going to be a tough one, peoples. (laughs) I'm fascinated by this because I have rarely, if ever, left... That's not even true. (laughs) That's not what that phrase means. These essays that require a little more nuance, a little more choice of words, a little more... I almost said je ne sais quoi, but that's not... (laughs) That's not the right word. Yeah, I I got a little carried away there. got a little carried away. Let me do this one more time. Six times three, six times four is 24 plus 5 is 31. By the 24 plus 5 is 29. Correct. <laughs> Thank you for saving me. Oh, there we go. I see it. So, um, I will just cut that entire little bit after you said and that's some, but it's something out because it doesn't need to yep. be there. Yep. Woo! Yep. It is the end of the season, people. It is the end of the season.